We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. The bat moves. May the force be with you. Who is that masked man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before we begin today's discussion, here is some genre-related news. NASA proclaimed the dawn of a new era in astronomy last week as the world got its first look at images from the James Webb Space Telescope. The telescope's first full-color images and spectroscopic data were released during a televised broadcast on Tuesday from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. You can view an image of galaxy cluster SMACS0723, known as Webb's first deep field, on one of the Fantastic Forum's social media pages. The image is the deepest and sharpest infrared image of the distant universe so far and is teeming with thousands of galaxies, including the faintest objects ever observed in the infrared. This deep field, taken by Webb's near-infrared camera, or near-cam, is a composite made from images at different wavelengths totaling 12.5 hours, achieving depths at infrared wavelengths beyond the Hubble Space Telescope's deepest fields, which took weeks. Light from these galaxies took billions of years to reach us. We are looking back in time to within a billion years after the Big Bang when viewing the youngest galaxies in this field. The light was stretched by the expansion of the universe to infrared wavelengths that Webb was designed to observe. Researchers will soon begin to learn more about the galaxy's masses, ages, histories, and compositions. In addition to taking images, two of Webb's instruments also obtained spectra data that reveals objects' physical and chemical properties that will help researchers identify many more details about distant galaxies in this field. Webb's near-infrared spectrograph, or near-spec, microshutter array observed 48 individual galaxies at the same time, a new technology used for the first time in space, returning a full suite of details about each. Finally, Webb's near-infrared imager and stiltless spectrograph used wide-field stiltless spectra spectroscopy <laughs> to capture spectra of all the images in the entire field of view at once. And this is only the beginning. Researchers will continue to use Webb to take longer exposures, revealing more of our vast universe. Whew. New trailers dropped this week for season three of Harley Quinn, The Monsters, and Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. You can check them out on one of the aforementioned Fantastic Forum social media pages. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. <laughs> 
Harley Quinn returns to HBO Max for its third season on July 28th. The Munsters arrives from Universal Pictures in September, and Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power debuts September 2nd on Amazon Prime. Also, the release date for season three of Star Trek Lower Decks was finally announced as the show returns to Paramount Plus August 25th. Some anniversaries this week as July 10th marked 50 years since the launch of Telstar 1, the satellite that allowed the first live broadcast of television images between U the U.S. and Europe. Irwin Allen's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea opened in theaters 61 years ago on July 12, 1961. And actor Harrison Ford celebrated his 80th birthday on July 13th. Amber Heard's request for a mistrial in the Johnny Depp defamation case was denied on Wednesday. It had been discovered that the wrong juror showed up to court for the trial. The judge ruled Heard's team should have raised the objection sooner and that there is no evidence of fraud and no evidence that the mistake biased the trial. Heard is expected to file an appeal once the judgment in the case becomes final. Since late June, there has been a spate of dismissals and layoffs from Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group, including publisher James Lucas Jones, executive VP of creative and business Charlie Chu, senior vice president of sales and marketing Alex Segura, marketing manager Henry Barajas, and senior editors Amanda Meadows and Jasmine Amiri. Bararis had been hired in August 2021 and Segura in May of 2021. The company has also canceled its booth space and several scheduled panels at San Diego Comic-Con. In response to tweets about the layoffs, the company issued a statement decrying, and I quote, wildly sensationalist, sensationalistic rumors, unquote, and indicating that the layoffs were made, quote, with the sole purpose of evolving the company and brand and positioning it for long-term success, unquote. And this isn't the first time the company has seen such goings on. Following the Oni merger with Lion Forge in 2019, there were also a series of layoffs. Although, via Twitter, some current Oni Press creators have expressed confusion and frustration over their project's nebulous status. More on this story as it continues to develop. Hunt Valley, Maryland is the place to be this weekend for Surely, the annual fan-run science fiction media convention. Guests in include Brandon Routh, Summer Glau, and Adam Baldwin, among many others. The con runs through Sunday. You can get more information via the website shore-leave.com. Thor Love and Thunder debuted last week as the number one movie at the domestic box office with a $143 million opening. It was the largest opening yet for a Marvel Thor film. And it's projected to take first place again this weekend. Today we're talking about some of the actual science that continues to inspire sci-fi and comics, as well as some of the news items I just read and more. 
But first, here is the official spoiler-free FF review of Thor, Love and Thunder. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Thor, Love and Thunder, the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 4 offering, is an action-adventure comedy romance. There was way too much comedy and not nearly enough of the other stuff. However, it sticks to the established MCU formula enough that audiences will find it an enjoyable movie-going experience. Thor is traveling with the Guardians of the Galaxy, essentially in retirement. Their adventures are interrupted by the appearance of the galactic killer, Gore, the God Butcher, who seeks the destruction of the gods. Thor returns to Earth and enlists the help of Valkyrie, now ruling the Asgardians, and Korg. To his surprise, Thor finds that his ex-girlfriend, Jane Foster, now inexplicably wields his enchanted hammer, Mjolnir, as the mighty Thor. Together, the group embarks upon a quest to discover the secret of the God Butcher's vengeance and stop him before he annihilates all the pantheons of gods in the universe. As still images and clips from this movie were released, I became more and more excited about it. Comic book movies seem to work better when based on an adaptation, and the Lady Thor storyline from noted writer Jason Aaron was one that was particularly well received by fans. While I enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder, I found it terribly disappointing. For me, it failed to live up to the promise of the source material. Also, the comedic elements totally overwhelmed everything else. Personally, I thought that Taika Waititi took it over the top during his previous work on 2017's Thor Ragnarok. But that movie remained serious enough to preserve the dramatic story elements. Worse still, the film begins wonderfully. The introductory backstory on Gore suggests that Thor Love and Thunder will go in a different direction altogether. And then, jokes! I haven't seen a movie make a greater left turn after an opening sequence since The Fifth Element. And it's really unfortunate, as all the components are present, to have made an exceptional movie. Starting with the cast, which is excellent. Great actors and actresses who do their best with the material they've been given. The film stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, Tessa Thompson, and Taika Waititi. Appearing in supporting roles are Russell Crowe, Jamie Alexander, Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillian, Palm Clementif, Sean Gunn, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, and Karan L. Dyer. There are also several well-known performers who appear in some surprising and entertaining cameo roles. The performances of Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, and Tessa Thompson stood out for me. Also, that of young actor Kieran L. Dyer is noteworthy. There were so many lost opportunities with this movie. It is obvious that Taika Waititi is a very talented director. I think after the success of his work on Ragnarok, he perhaps was given too much latitude and creative freedom. Although I can see the vision, a lot of what he has attempted in Thor Love and Thunder just fell flat. I was pleased that, unlike Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, this movie wasn't overly beholden to or dependent upon any of the other MCU films or television series. Of course, the effects were top-notch. I also enjoyed the Easter eggs that so many other fans of the comic source material 
will recognize. And I'm sure some will adore the movie for Chris Hemsworth's bare bottom. Be sure to stick around for the mid and post credit scenes. Michael Giacchino provides his usual high quality musical score. Okay, my last bit of disappointment. Gore, the God Butcher, was a terrific comic supervillain, on par with the antagonist Thor battled back in the Silver Age stories from Lee and Kirby. And when I learned that Christian Bale had been engaged to play the character, I was ecstatic. This could have been, should have been, so much more intense and dramatic than what was portrayed here. It's simply a terrible waste. Thor, Love and Thunder, runs two hours and five minutes, which is, of course, brisk for this genre. It's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action, language, some suggestive material, and partial nudity. Pretty much standard Marvel Cinematic Universe fare that checks all the prerequisite boxes. But too much humor stifles what could have been an intense, dramatic story with some action, romance, and real consequences. Looks great on the big screen, but you can feel free to wait for this one to stream on Disney+. Plus. One and a half stars out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Four. There you have it, the official FF review of Thor Love and Thunder, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, and Tessa Thompson, which opened in theaters nationwide last week. And uh, I realized there were a lot of people who absolutely loved this movie. I didn't hate the movie. It's just that it wasn't that good a movie is the problem. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and I'm, 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 not, I'm not one to, um, I don't want to say suffer fools gladly because that, that's <laughs> not exactly what it is. But, um, yeah, I, I was not nearly as enamored with it. And, in fact, we need to do a show at some point on stuff that sucks that I like anyway. Because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, people say, oh, I liked it. It was good. No, no, you liked it. That doesn't mean it was good. All that means is you liked mm-hmm. it. There's a lot of stuff I like that totally sucks. Anyway, time to introduce mm-hmm. today's panel. Joining me are Shireen Nicole, Black Gorbachev, Philip Jean-Pierre, and Mike Lunsford. Everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello. Thank you for being here once again. You all are great. So, (laughs) um, what was a. a, (laughs) Only because uh, while we were playing the review, uh, Philip mentioned something that I thought was really funny. And um, he was saying about his take on the Lord of the Rings trailer ring rings of power and I, i'm just mm-hmm. curious because you are always a very opinionated kind of guy <laughs> and you suggested that you were going to be i dare say even more so when it comes to this oh before we get and, and this is also a first for this show uh, that i need to reintroduce before we actually start the discussion you're listening to fantastic forum on wera LP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Shireen Nicole, Black Gorbachev, Philip Jean-Pierre, and Mike Lunsford, as I told you only moments ago. But uh, we're 15 minutes in and it's time for me to reintroduce because... 
I know how you're supposed to do radio. <laughs> anyway, Black Gorbachev, please. All right, so they released a new trailer about the second trailer for Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power about two days ago, I believe. Right. Somewhere in that range. And everyone kept saying the same thing. Why didn't they release this trailer first? I will tell you why, because that first one's a teaser. It's not a real trailer. It's a trailer for a trailer. So I, when that one dropped, I was like, I'm not that impressed with this. When this proper trailer dropped, this is what I was looking for. Um, Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy that we all love, is, 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 you know, for me, it's the only science fiction book that I can honestly say I've, like, really enjoyed. Like, I've read other ones, but as far as I'm concerned, Lord of the Rings is, like, the, the source. Epic fantasy? Um, for me, yeah. Like, it's, 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 where it's, like, for me, it's, like, after I read Lord of the Rings, I was, like, I really don't need to read anything else, which, based on my reading habits, is absolutely true. However, the second, this the Rings of Power talks about the second age, um, uh, which is like where the real high fantasy concept is, um, uh, for at least in Tolkien's universe, where you get to have everybody, where you get to see the dwarves, get some respect put on their names, and Moria's like blowing up, uh, Galadriel out here walking around like Cain, because she knows what's coming. And so you get all, like, you basically just get like, the actual big story that I love, and I and I realized trying to do it any other time before now was would probably be almost impossible. And I know Amazon spent like I don't know 250 million, which is like two prime days for them to buy the license in for this one. But it, this trailer pretty much gave me some hope that at the very least it actually might be very very good. Okay. I mean, I honestly, based on what you had started saying, I expected you to excoriate the thing. I absolutely didn't <laughs> did expect you like to he say was, yeah. He was yeah. foreshadowing the coming storm. It did sound <laughs> And then a rainbow came out. It was great. I, like they, like the thing says, I can go into heavy detail about how much I'm going to love this. If they be, if, if what looks to me like they're doing it right, how deep they're going to go into this one. And, and if you want, I will gladly go into the fact that we get to the more, I, I never know how to pronounce his name properly. It's like Numenorians, which is like the first like real human elf of existence, which actually yeah. technically counts as like something else. But yeah, you get a lot of that and you get like, you get like the, the, the high council of them, you get uh, an intrigue there, you get the crazy king, you also get like, you get um, Aragorn's um, ancestors, uh, which I guess technically his grandfather. Somewhere in there, yeah, but it Sildur. also explains, yeah, uh, before Elsador. Here's uh, it's a uh, Ellen. Yeah, they're Ellen, way Ellen. before yeah. that. I mean, this is like a thousand yeah. years before that Lord of yeah, the Rings exactly. stuff. So it's like so you get to see exactly why Aragorn is considered special, which is kind of the one thing they they don't really tell. Them. Yeah, he was such a such like, oh, that's why he's special. That kind of thing. So. Like I said, I'm this is before the sun rose and the world was lit by two trees. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, in fact, they've drawn on what is essentially a reference book that Tolkien uh, put together. It's called The Silmarillion. And yep. I, I yes. am not yes. as, yeah, I'm not as up on this as some of my Tolkien loving friends. 
but uh, it's it's a big deal. And the fact that the Tolkien family finally took the money and said, yeah, okay, do something with this stuff, because apparently they had been resistant for a long time. And I guess uh, ultimately, I mean, see, and it didn't seem to matter how much money people threw at them, but <laughs> as the expression goes, everyone has their price. Uh, so also you get new members, you get new generations, and new generations feel differently from older ones. Yes, new generations are like, how much money did you say? <laughs> I mean, people are really, people are really into this and really into Mm-hmm. That's a that's a it's an interesting book. It's it's a lot. It's very very <laughs> densely packed, but there is a lot of stuff in there. And like, I still think that like I'm I'm with I'm with Phil Philip on this one. That like, this is one of those things that like it's a hallmark for me because I remember reading this as a kid, and like everything else in my mind as I read it, that when it comes to world building, gets compared to stuff that Tolkien did because it just he's on a whole nother level. I mean, he created a whole God pantheon and then the world and how, and like all of the stuff, like it's, yeah, it's amazing. Languages, both written and spoken. Oh yeah. Mm. Like the dude, like yeah. no, no stone was left unturned in his world. Yeah. It was, it's amazing. And like, even like, was it the valor, uh, which is like, not even like the high gods. They're just like, I guess they count technically as like secondary before you get to like, the, the the ones that created the fathers of man as they make the argument for the middle management um, of, of deities yeah exactly how do you, go ahead sorry how do you feel Tolkien would feel about all of these brown and black folks in his world <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, not I'm good so <laughs> <laughs> probably not good from what little I know of the man himself um, well, but, great then. Uh, I feel great about I mean, it. <laughs> I mean, I mean my, my vision is man dead. What are you going to do? His family yeah. sold it. What are you going to do? If he's going to be mad, he's going to be I hope he is puffing on his pipe very, very angrily wherever he is in this afterlife. Mm-hmm. My my favorite, uh, my real, my favorite argument is do dwarf women have beards? And uh, my response is the same. Human women have beards. They just pluck them. Leave them beards alone. All dwarves have beards. It's well, well known. Yeah, and apparently sometimes you can't even tell the women from the men because of the beards. And and they didn't they don't seem as if they have done that. And I, I would have really preferred they go with a to, nice yeah. <laughs> They no, go yeah. with a nice full underbeard for the women. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself. I mean, I, I've been a fan of this stuff since seventh grade when I first read The Hobbit. And I found that The Hobbit was uh, an introduction to this. And so it, and it, it led quite nicely into Fellowship of the Ring, which I also loved. I burned out uh, about 70 pages into The Two Towers. But ultimately, I came back to it, and you know, it's um, it seems like it's okay. So, eh. But uh, you know, like I said, I only have one real critique for this one, and it's not more much a critique as a concern. So we have the it's not half foot, it's half foot hobbits. I really don't want this thing to actually have. I don't want the hobbits to have that much of a real of impression in the story, even though I know we all love hobbits. But 
if you read the Similarian, Hobbit's really not that been like important a figure, quote unquote, um, in the Similarian since this really is just like the second age of Earth, for lack of a better word. So I did see the trailer does give us a lot of Hobbit Um and so <laughs> I know I didn't even say that properly. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think but, uh, I think the plural of hob. Well, I, I don't know. I guess the plural is hobbits. He was, he was going for the the, the Smeagol thing. Gullible. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The way that pronounces it. Hobbitus. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was he was going with. I have to admit that I used to spend a great deal of time in the public library after school. Uh, because mm-hmm. I refused to take the bus home and was to instead wait for my mother at the library. So mm-hmm. I read these books probably in the third grade, maybe. So mm-hmm. I remember, and I've never gone back to them because they weren't my favorite. So I remember very little. Like, only I remember Smeagol by the pond, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I remember so little, you know, um, smog and, you know, and like just little bits and pieces throughout these books. So I am not much help to you in this conversation. Well, no, I remember... Well, here's the interesting... Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. Philip, what were you going to say? This is the interesting thing that most people don't like to admit. The Hobbit is the better story of the, of that entire line. In it's great. Opinion. It's, it's great. like, it's the... And the Lord of the Rings trilogy is great. But that Hobbit, that, 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 that right there, you want the classic adventure story, uh, that's the one. It is exhilarating in my recollection. Mm. Well, and as a gateway story to the rest of the thing, I mean, because The Hobbit is a nice self-contained thing. You know, you could read The Hobbit and be perfectly happy. And then you pick up Fellowship of the Ring and you find out, oh, wait a minute, this thing is an epic fantasy story. And particularly you get the background on the ring. And I, I was disappointed because I had really, I liked Bilbo. Bilbo was like my guy, and then I'm like, oh, Bilbo, mm-hmm. now it's Frodo, your nephew? Of the nine the, finger. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow. I mean, I, was, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And the fact that they carried Gandalf through it, that was interesting. But all of the various Ooh. backstory... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, all of the various backstory was like, wow. I mean, it, ooh, you know. Out of, out of curiosity, who was the Ralph Bakshi Hobbit? At all? Does anyone remember that cartoon? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Love that. I, no, yeah. That is, and the Rankin Bass Hobbit that was on TV. Was, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. A feature film. Yeah. Well, it was Fellowship no, of the Ring and, and Into the Two yeah. Towers. I mean, he didn't do The Hobbit. I mean, you know, so, but it was, but he started, Ralph Bakshi definitely started doing the Lord of the Rings stories. They only did one film. To me, is that most of the literary world of epic fantasy and high fantasy, as Philip mentioned, is based on Tolkien. Um, you can see it everywhere throughout the genre, um, and that's why so many people get accused of being derivative. It's not. It's just kind of that world was so solidly built, as as Mike has mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. I had a similar I had a similar experience with it, Shireen. Um, as far as reading it, I got I got pneumonia 
when I was in fourth grade and I was out of school for like two weeks and really couldn't do much of anything. And my, I asked, my dad was giving me books to read. He's like, you know, Hey, you can read, you can. And I started the Hobbit and fell in love with it and then ended up reading through most of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So like I fell in love with it at an early age. I, but I did the same thing. I kind of like just, yeah, it was good. Great. Cool. Not going to come back to it. And then when the movies came out in the early two thousands, I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I loved these as a kid and how much like I thought about that world and like pictured it. And it was just, yeah, it like brought me back to that thing I loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a similar kind of experience and particularly in terms of what Shireen was saying, because there were snippets that I remembered. And as like watching uh, the movies, for example, uh, there was the scene where um, Arwen uh, called for the river to come and uh, wash the orcs away and the the froth on the river looked like horses and I was like I remember that I remember that from the book I, I mean there was a bunch of little things like that that really added to my shows enjoyment up again of it all. the last mm-hmm. unicorn where the froth of the ocean is the unicorns okay yeah oh that's right oh I gotta say, when I first read The Hobbit, I'm trying to forget, when I first read The Hobbit, it terrified me. It is a a terrifying story if you think about it too much. And let's see, and just like the whole thing is like, this is terrifying. But I kept reading it because it was exactly what I wanted. But after I was done reading it, I was like, I mean, I did end up reading other fantasy stuff. Robert Jordan, heaven help me. Um, But it just, no one ever really like what I got out of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, the whole Hobbit thing. And then, like you said, once the Similarian dropped, and I realized that was a thing, um, even though it was, it might, it might as well have been a textbook, I was like, yep, this is what I wanted. So I will fully admit, I am probably one of the more biased fantasy fans because I do um, kind of, you know, base everything off of that. So I guess it does make me a biased and non-objective reviewer of fantasy. So, so basically, I'm, 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 the, I'm the easy mark you're looking for for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, I'm just glad that they were ultimately able to do some more of these because it, obviously the, um, well, hey, the three movies they made and then they went into The Hobbit and they elaborated on all of that stuff. And I'm like, okay, y'all are making some stuff up here, but... You know, uh, they, they just should have left it at one movie, and they should have let Guillermo del Toro make it. They were so stuck on Jackson making everything and keeping it the same, and Guillermo del Toro was a far better choice for The Hobbit. Hmm. And I, I think that's where they messed it up, personally. Well, I agree with you. The Hobbit made choices. The Hobbit yeah. made choices. Yeah, they were like, wait, how do we, how can we shovel like more? Um, Orlando Bloom in here. We got to find a way to get a pretty man elf in here doing pretty man elf things. Yeah. Hey, but with but, a bow. <laughs> but hold that thought because that musical cue means that uh, we've reached the end of the first segment of the show. Of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station. We rely on the ongoing generosity of our underwriters, sponsors, and listeners like you to be able to continue to operate the station. Visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media at ArlingtonMedia.org. Find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift 
in support of community radio, community media today. But we kind of went down the, well, shoot, we didn't exactly go down the rabbit hole. We kind of did, but I had taken so long introducing the show and then with the um, review. But we'll be back because we've still got more to talk about. And we haven't even talked about real science yet. So we're going to do some more of that, too. Stick around. And welcome back to Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford, Black Gorbachev, Philip Jean-Pierre, and Shireen Nicole. And when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about one of the trailers that dropped earlier this week following the teaser for the trailer that had dropped before was for Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, which is coming to Amazon Prime on September 2nd. So um, did you guys have any thoughts about this business that is going on with Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group. You heard oh anything about gosh. that? Do you care? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, you, you talk about a horror story. That's the scary one. It is pretty scary. Because it's hard to tell what exactly is going on there with, you know, when Lion Forge, well, I'll let Philip say it. He's more educated on it, but. Yeah, Serena knows the publishing industry, so. What weirded me out about it was them releasing Charlie Chu. Um, and Charlie Chu has been with Oni probably since the very beginning, but at least, oh, well, maybe not the beginning, but definitely 20 years easy. And, there, and he is probably one of the main people that's helped put a lot of people on in regards to like cutting edge books. Like after Dark Horse, Oni was the place they went, and Charlie Chu was the guy who put a lot of people on. Um, in regards to like really successful branches of work and just like really cutting edge books um, after like even through like the 90s age of comics heaven help us all um, where it was like you know pockets and like uh, you know whatever um, so them letting Charlie Chu go is a is, is just a, a disturbing thing and then they re- and then Mark Wade showed the press release they released which was like <laughs> I just saw giant. that <laughs> it was a giant word salad of like buzzwords and corporate speak trying to go we are not horrible people oh yeah uh, and, and uh, my, I'm curious because Mike I think we talked about this one time with like the only Lion Forge one time and we were just like it literally makes no sense Lion Forge was going in a particular direction it only seemed to be a perfect fit and then and Shereen, I think we talked about it too and then the moment they merged it just turned into this like cascade of collapsing crazy of like business decisions that didn't make any sense. I think the the term you used corporate word salad is the perfect description for this because like here, here are the corporate words, sensationalistic rumors circulating, reiterate (laughs) personnel changes, 
were made for the sole purpose of evolving the company in the Brevan and positioning. Positioning, that's the word right there. That's the one that I know that they, this doesn't mean anything. This is just words. Well, you know, I think it does mean something. I think it means brace yourself while you are packaged and sell and shall be sold. That's what I think it means. <laughs> I think that they're getting lean. I think they're getting lean for sale. A lot of people think that they are going into just a straight kind of IP clearing house, which Ugh. may also be the case. Uh, or yeah. both could be the case. But either way, that's what makes this whole thing scary. You know, when Lion Forge bought Oni, the, uh, initially they fired a lot of uh, BIPOC and queer folk to do that. A lot of their top editors at that point. And now they're doing the same uh, at Lion Forge. They did before they acquired mm -hmm. Oni. Now they're doing the same thing at Oni. And this thing just keeps getting more and more compact with less and less to offer readers. So you have to wonder what is the goal here? What is in game? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, just the a, other thing about, oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, let me just throw this in and I'll, I'll let you finish Mike. Um, yeah. they, it, they at least had, and cause everything you're saying is absolutely true, Shireen, and it's reprehensible, but at least they had the shred of cover to say that some of these positions, when they merged Oni and Lion Forge, they were eliminating um, you know similar types of positions. Now I don't Redundancies, know that that as they call it exactly. Yeah, so I don't know how well that flew, but they could at least claim that they can't even say that this time. And with the premier comic book. Uh, well, a uh, multimedia event now of San Diego coming up and they've they canceled their booth space. They have canceled a couple of panels where they were going to be announcing new projects. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just very suspicious to me. And yeah, I got a suspicious nature. Right and didn't CW do something similar but before they. Uh, announced yeah. this big deal on the table. They did almost the same thing for this San Diego yep. Comic Con as well. Yep, no, almost. Uh, I think very few CW shows will actually be there. Obviously, HBO Max will probably have a presence there, but the CW area, nope. As far as all of the, as as all, of the the, all of the DC shows, we should say specifically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so. I mean, it makes no sense, but I mean, since it, most of the ones that they can bank on is getting, is this their last season? Do they just feel like it's not worth the effort anymore? I think it makes sense uh, in a really gross way. And like, to kind of clarify what I was saying before, I said this is meaningless in the sense that like, this is hollow. This is, they, they wrote this with all the buzzwords. This is like, literally like a corporate, like framework, like Hey, let's talk about how long we've been doing this and how great we've been and all the wonderful things that we've done just to try to make you feel better about we're about to do some really, really, really messed up stuff here. Like that's <laughs> what this is saying to me. And like mm -hmm. the whole the whole them pulling their presence from uh, San Diego, same thing with DC or CW, like they don't want to be accountable. They don't want to have to answer questions because they know that people are going to ask and they don't want to do that. They want to focus on look at all the shiny stuff that we're doing. And they don't have that to, to focus on right now. And like, the, like I, we we all know people that have, that work with Lion Forge. Like mm. this is not good. We also and, know people who have contracts with Oni. Yeah, like this is 
this is not good. And like it, it, it reeks of somebody in a suit when you ask them questions about this and then just smiling at you and saying, you're not thinking of the big picture. And you're like, that's cool. How am I going to pay my rent? Right. Yeah. They don't and care what about all of this work I've done for you over the last year that I haven't been paid for as of yet. Yeah. And, and may then, never be yeah. paid for. And you get you a know, block off, off. Yeah. Yeah, at least with the CW, you get the sense that they're losing their Warner Brothers privileges. They're losing their DC privileges. That's the sense you get, even with that fiasco that they're calling Gotham Knights, which we shall not talk about. But with 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 uh, Oni or Oni Forge or whatever we call it, with that being such a big part of a small industry, or even a subset of an already relatively small industry, despite how much money it makes. It's just, it's just really bad for the, the creatives and, and for the people who work below the line behind the scenes. I mean, honestly, like you said, Oni is one of those boutique pretty houses that are really successful. Like it's like them and top shop are like the ones you get curated, like, you know, work from, and it seems like like they just don't want that anymore. It's like we want to go. I, mean, I don't want to use the phrase mainstream, but I think they want to go more commercial, which is terrifying if you think about it. But I don't know. Like I don't get it. That reeks of we want to make more money, and the stuff that we're doing right now, while it has artistic integrity, it's not making. We got investors to pay. They're like, it's going to be an IP mill. Give us your IP and we shall make make TV shows and we shall make movies. And that's what we want. And I mean, that's not not, not exclusively, but they kind of have the IP thing on lock, which is, I think, IDW and boom. So, I mean. Nobody has IP on lock. (laughs) (laughs) well no no i, I was just going to add that there uh, there are a number of uh, creators who have taken to social media and uh, i just think again it's reprehensible that some of these actions are being taken and the fact that the creators who are working with oni lion forge haven't been given advance notice. I mean, if you're going to pull some crap mm-hmm. like this, the least you can do is go to your creators and be like, hey, look, y'all, this is what's getting ready to come out. We're just trying to prepare you. I mean, <laughs> unless, of course, <laughs> some of the senior <laughs> editors that you fired are the ones who are working with these people. And so there's nobody. Hey, who who's calling so-and-so? Oh, damn. Um, I don't know. know. Didn't you, know you do what? that? Uh, you know? You are giving these people a lot of credit that they care about <laughs> about the people making them money. They don't. They don't seem to. They really no. do not. No. I mean, when I was when I was at a publisher that folded, they did indeed send us a massive email to all of the authors and say, "Here's what this is. Here's what's coming." Um. So there is precedence for doing that you know or we're being sold so this is what's happening or whatever but not all companies do i've also seen publishing houses not do that i've seen them fire beloved editors and your editor writes you an email after they've been fired uh and 
so that may be what's going on too like you get a letter from your editor on their way out the door they don't know what's going on so they can't tell you yeah yeah well uh, i i was thinking specifically about um some of the creators that i've seen who have commented via twitter like um jim zub for example wrote Wondering if the rumored skeleton crew being kept on will include people working on the project we were set to announce next week. At this rate, I feel like I'm going to find out via Twitter. And then six hours later. Well, no, that's like, that's what I'm saying. There was precedence to let everybody know, but in this case, it didn't happen. Everybody is in the dark. Well, exactly. But at least Zub, because uh, apparently six hours after he made that initial post, he made another one saying, I've been told uh, my current Oni project is secure, in quotes, although it obviously won't be announced uh, at the SDCC panel as originally planned. Fingers crossed our team has been working hard. And um, then there was another one from DJ Kirkland, uh, who's the co-creator and artist on Black Mage. And uh, he says, no emails about next steps regarding all the creators that now no longer have an editor to report to have been sent out. This whole situation is messy at best and shows a lack of integrity to the mission y'all claim to have. And uh, he also pointed out that this is very similar to 2019 during the merger that Oni had with Lionforge. And he wrote... This is not the first time y'all have done this. I literally went through this uh, during the production of Black Mage uh, during the merger. This commitment to, again, quotes, diversity and inclusion are mere buzzwords and empty promises at this point. So when you've got creators that are putting this stuff out there and, you know, the, the material is value. It's valuable. It's what gives the publishing house its value if you're talking about selling it and it, it, you're just creating more problems for yourself if you don't let your creators know in advance so they don't blow you up on twitter and make you look like an idiot at one second you're listening to fantastic forum on wera 96.7 fm and streaming via wera.fm Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Black Gorbachev, Philip Jean-Pierre, Mike Lunsford, and Shireen Nicole. We were just talking a little bit about the, uh, I don't even know how to characterize it, the the dumpster fire that seems to have uh, ignited over at uh, Oni Press Lion Forge. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I that all, that all I was making was the comment about the creators and how they're blowing this thing up on Twitter now. And how you could have saved yourself some trouble if somebody had had the forethought to reach out to some of these folks in advance and just be like, please don't blow us up on Twitter because we're trying to tell you what's going on. But as Mike said, that assumes that they care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not their problem. Be right there. It's not their problem. It's not their problem because they're already getting paid. They don't care. Hmm. That's, but it yeah. really makes you wonder what's. It does make you wonder what's more important than announcing your books at the biggest con in America. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, can especially. You, can you imagine that? Like, imagine having something that you've worked on a, a year, two years, three years, knowing twenty twenty two San Diego Comic Con 
We're going to get to push it. We're going to get to like really represent it. Crap, we can't do it in 2020 because of the pandemic. Can't do it in 2021 because of the pandemic. We're finally getting a chance. And then your publishing house is like, no, we're going to reorganize. Yeah, well, and and you have actually, because, I mean, the whole science-y thing that I had wanted to do, I guess that's kind of out of the window now, because we're almost out of time, but um, you've, you've, it's a, what you said, Mike, is a perfect segue to kind of where I was going to go after this, because conventions are starting back up, and of course, San Diego is the biggest uh, of all, uh, and... It, it, and you're right. I mean, it makes absolute. I mean, from a business perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. But I, I had wanted in the few minutes we have left, I'd kind of wanted to know where you all are on this, because I, I, I had a commitment um, last year at uh, uh, at AwesomeCon. Actually, was that this year? When the heck was that? I, I guess I guess it was last year because they've had another one since then. And, uh, you know, because, in fact, my commitment was with you, Mike, and that was why I came out. But um, what a guy. (laughs) No, but the funny thing is, had I not had this commitment to show up, you know, panel wise, I wouldn't have shown up because the, the pandemic isn't over. It's just we're acting like we don't care. And, you know, Americans now have decided they're more concerned about. Uh, I don't know, inflation or gas prices or whatever like that. And, you know, when uh, people are still getting this thing and there's another yet another mutation of the virus. And yet again, hey, you know, this weekend out in Hunt Valley, it's shore leave and uh, San Diego is next week. And last week there was Blurred Con and, you know, every week. In fact, there are other big cons around the country this week. I think Megacon down in uh, Florida is this weekend. Uh, Heroes Convention in Charlotte. It was like their 40th anniversary. That was just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, these things are back and people are going. And, you know, uh, what way? Hey, what about that? Yeah, <laughs> I think that the exasperated sigh is kind of all of us like I, I want to see this stuff, too. I want to do this stuff. I want to be involved. I want to see my friends. But you know what I el- else I don't want to do? I don't want to kill somebody like I've been I'm triple vaxxed at this point. Like, I, I, but that's the thing is like that that in itself I'm good. My family's good. But that doesn't mean that somebody else isn't. Like, plenty of people I know and that I love and care about are immunocompromised. And let's just say I'm wearing that nasty-ass COVID. And, like, it just got on me somehow. I'm not affected, but now I've made one of my friends sick. Like, the the, the fact that people just don't care about that is disgusting to me. Like, on a level I can't even, like, it, I can't even say – on the airwaves without using a word that would get you in trouble with the FCC. Like it, it's just, it's, it's incredibly frustrating is the best way I can describe it. Like you can't, you, if I can't convince you to care about other people, like that's not a, that's not old well, agree to disagree. No, that's not an agree to disagree, man. We, we got nothing else to talk about. And like, that's, that sucks. Mm, yeah. Uh, it, Shireen, I know you, well, I, I'm curious because you have a very unique perspective on actually pretty much everything, your own unique Shireen perspective. And you're somebody who continues to take certain precautions. Uh, I mean, even above and beyond those precautions that I take. And so I'm just curious about what you think about this. 
And I'm telling you, I'm not going. Not going. I wish I could sing like Jennifer Holiday or if you prefer Jennifer Hudson, but I'm not going to any overcrowded space, even with my mask, because it's just it's still very dangerous. And and the number of infections are going back up around the world. We're creating new mutations because that's what people didn't understand. You sat around listening to Trump and other idiots, and they were telling you herd immunity, and if once we all get it, you know, uh, then it'll be fine. I had a friend who's not an idiot, but at the very early onset, was like, well, if we just let it work its way through, and I said, you do realize that work its way through means everybody who's going to die will be dead. And he was like, oh. I was like, yes, that's what that means. But it also means that as you allow these diseases to work their way through the human body, they get better at killing us. Mm. And and this is the danger of another conversation that we had months ago uh, in speaking about education. When you have an education, you know about how these diseases mutated that you should not allow, allow them to proliferate in the first place. Mm. When you don't, you say to yourself, oh, well, survival of the fittest, Darwin, and all of that nonsense. Not thinking about the fact that we have now made this endemic where it's this is here now. We could have avoided it, we could have, like we did with so many other things since uh, 1920. We didn't. And now here it is. And so for me, it's, you know, it's very much about looking out for other people, looking out for myself, looking out for other people, looking out for the elders in my family. You know, as I get older, so do they. Um, and so it gives me this certain thing I call pandemic paranoia, where I try to be very careful and, and, and do my best. And nothing is 100%, of course, but if we all just look after each other and ourselves, better world. But we don't. We're all this country has turned into the mayor of the town in Jaws. That shark's out there, but hey, the Fourth of July's coming. We can't close the beach. And it just it, ugh. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I, I I absolutely hear you on that, and uh, that's one. I mean, and they're going to be. 130,000 people in San Diego for this convention. Hope they have fun. <laughs> Don't come see me for at least two weeks until after you've uh, come back. Well, you know, I, I, there was something about the uh, masking policy uh, that I think that uh, they had put out, and I, I can't remember exactly what that was. But, I, you know, because the you know <laughs> liability being what it is, all these shows have to... They have to have something. They have to say something and have these policies in place. And, you know, many of them do, but it's still putting a lot of people at risk. And, uh, you know, for what? To get an autograph, to get a picture, uh, you know, to wear your costume. I mean, that's, hey, that's great, but we're not quite there yet. I'll never be able to take a deep breath again, but thank God I got this limited edition Funko Pop. <laughs> and you know, the sad thing is, there are some people, they're willing to sacrifice themselves for the limited edition San Diego Comic-Con Funko Pop. You know, I mean, it's uh, I, I Funko Pops aren't my thing, so that's not exactly uh, something I'd get excited about. Although I did get excited about, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, 
and you know this is one of those on the do out the on the way out the door comments but um hasbro uh, has got this thing where you can scan your head on your phone and they'll make a customized action figure for you and put your head on it oh it's it's well i true i've always wanted a customized action figure of myself so <laughs> i think that's yeah i think that's pretty dope and, you don't want a customized black gorbachev action figure I'm not, Ulysses, I'm not trying to see all this in toy form. Karate chop action, you know what I'm saying? Philip said he's already fully articulated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, only because I went there on another show, I'm not going to go there today with this. But hey, look, uh, that musical cue means that we're out of time for this episode. I'd like to thank my panelists and you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. You can check that out if you go to the website at fantasticforum.tv. Uh, we've got individual episodes. We've got all the segments broken out for you. The show is also available thanks to Mike Lunsford and the Great Geek Refuge as a podcast. You can find it on the Great Geek Refuge on all those platforms where you find your favorite podcasts and of course the show re-airs each and every thursday here on WERA from three to four check us out and we air in first run again each and every saturday from four to five enjoy the rest of your weekend come back again next week same bat time same bat station